I really feel like God has been doing something incredible in our church. If you've been around for a while, if you've, if you've been here for a, a couple of weeks or months, you'll know that something is happening in our church where God is really just beginning to speak to us. He's actually, it's almost like He's raising us up, like we're discovering more about who He's called us to be, our identity as a church, the calling that He has on our lives, etc. And um, it's just been amazing to be a part of. It's the thing that we dreamed about uh, when, we, when we felt the call of God to come out and and. and start a church. There's just been a richness of God's presence, and, uh, and, and the bottom line of why we get together every Sunday is so that we can see more of Jesus. That's what Anchor Church, that is the number one and the first value that we have as a church is that it is all about Jesus. And we want to help you see more of Jesus, understand more of His heart, understand more of the heart of God, uh, step into the calling that God has for your life. Begin to walk faithfully by His grace in every single thing that God has called you to. And I remember praying as a youngster, sitting down and praying to God and saying, God, I don't care what you have to take me through. I just don't want to miss out on a single thing that you have for me. If there is something that you need to do in my heart or do in my life or to take me through or to bring me through in order for me to be the person I need to be, to do the things that you've called me to do, then I'm open for it. Just do in my life what you want to do, God. Just take me where you want me to be. And I know that along that journey, I have made so many mistakes and, and, and I'm not perfect and you're not perfect and we're not perfect as a church. But that doesn't stop us from walking in the fullness of God's calling for our lives. And so we are passionate about showing you more of Jesus and discipling you to understand His heart. And so as a church, we're often working through books in the Bible. And right now, if you're visiting with us, we're going through the book of John. We're working through the book of John, studying it, and looking at how John is unfolding the fullness of Jesus to us. He's helping us to understand who Jesus is. He's helping us to see Jesus more clearly, more powerfully, more accurately. And as we see Jesus, our lives are changed. That's how faith rises up. You've heard that it says that, that it's been said. I sounded like Jesus when I said that. It's pretty awesome. But uh, you may have heard when people say uh, that hearing, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. But that doesn't just mean randomly reading words out of the Bible. It means that our faith rises up as we hear the word. In the beginning was the word and the word was God and the word was God, that, uh, was with God. And everything was created through him. So the word that we hear that inspires our faith, that causes our faith to grow and expand is when we hear the word of Jesus, when we hear the, the gospel of what he has done for us, when we see the face of Jesus and we grow in our knowledge of him. So through the book of John, John is unfolding this picture of Jesus to us so that we can know him. And before I say anything else this morning, I want you to know that Regardless of what you have done, regardless of what background you have, regardless of what mistakes you may have made this very weekend, regardless of what issues you deal with, regardless of your, your, your upbringing, your education, your intelligence, your career, uh, your spirituality, regardless of any of those things, here's the truth this morning. You can know Him. You can know Him. You don't need a degree in theology to know Jesus. There are uneducated people, millions of them across the face of the earth, who can know Jesus, who can have that gut level, eye to eye, I'm looking in the, into Jesus' face, I can, I can see Him, I am close to Him. 
and you don't need any qualification for that. Not a single one. This morning, you can know Jesus. And if you already know him, you can know him more. It's open to all of us. It's the goodness of God to us. So this morning, we're in John chapter number five. If you have your Bibles, uh, you can just open them up at John chapter number five and verse one. We've worked through the first uh, four chapters of John already, and uh, we come to John 5 and verse 1. I'm going to read through to verse 9. Uh, so if you have your Bibles, you can open them up. Go to John 5 verse 1. And it says, it says this, it says, After this there was a feast of the Jews, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Now there is in Jerusalem by the sheep gate a pool, in Aramaic called Bethesda, which has five roofed colonnades. In these lay a multitude, a multitude of invalids, blind, lame, and paralyzed. One man was there who had been an invalid for 38 years. When Jesus saw him lying there, he knew that he had already been there a long time. He said to him, do you want to be healed? Do you want to be healed? The sick man answered, sir, I have no one to put me into the pool when the water is stirred up. And while I'm going, uh, going, another steps down before me. Jesus said to him, get up, take up your bed, and walk. And at once the man was healed, and he took up his bed and walked. Now that day was the Sabbath. That day was the Sabbath. We're going to go ahead and pray this morning, and uh, then we're just going to get into this verse and what John is showing us about Jesus through this verse. Let's pray together. Jesus, we thank you so much this morning that we get to uh, just sit and, and be taught by your Spirit, God, that we get to hear not the voice of a preacher, not the reasonings of man, but Father, we get to hear your Word, your truth, and we thank you that as your Spirit delivers it to our hearts, brings it into a, a place of revelation for us, God, Father, that we are changed fundamentally from the inside. God, that we see you more clearly, that we grow in our relationship with you, that we're able to walk with you more closely and trust you for all the things you brought for us, Lord. We thank you this morning, Jesus, that you are speaking to our church, that you are doing something in our hearts, and we just give you all the honor and the glory this morning. In Jesus' name, and everybody said, amen. I don't know if you've ever been in a situation uh, where you've been desperate for a miracle. Just in a situation that was just so dire, so impossible, so difficult, that you were desperate for God to do something in your life. Absolutely desperate for Him to break through, absolutely desperate for Him to change the situation, uh, absolutely desperate for Him to help you with a certain decision that you needed to make. Some of you this morning may actually be in that position right now where you just feel like if God doesn't come through for me, I don't know what I would do. If God doesn't break through into, my, into the situation and just change things here, I don't know what I would do. It's these moments in life when we're absolutely desperate for a touch from God that actually tests how much we uh, we, we, we believe in God. It actually tests how much we believe in the goodness of God. So it's easy to say that we trust in God. 
It's easy to say that we have faith in God. It's easy to say we believe in His grace. We believe in His power. We believe in His, in, in His presence in our lives. It's easy to come on a Sunday morning and worship when everything in your life is going well. Have you noticed that? Like if your bank account is full and you're healthy and your relationships are in a good place, I mean, you can just come and you can just worship. Have you noticed that if you're going on holiday on Monday, your worship is just that much better? I don't know why it is, but you're like, oh, Jesus, holidays. You're just so excited when you know that stuff's coming up. It's easier to worship Jesus in those moments, but I'm sure you've been through some moments, I've been through some moments in my own life where it's actually really difficult to declare the goodness of God. It's actually really difficult to come on a Sunday and worship because of what you're facing in your life, because of what you're going through in your life. It's easy to say that we trust God, that we believe in the sovereignty of His grace until we encounter these moments in life. And here's what we start doing. This is what I wanna talk about today. What we start doing is almost instantly, when we become desperate for a miracle, when we become desperate for God to change a situation in our lives, is we start bargaining with God. Have you ever bargained with God? Come on, you, you go to God like you would go and, and negotiate with an Indian store owner, right? No, no offense, Julian, but you know what I'm talking about, though. You know what I'm talking about. You know I'm speaking truth this morning. Come on, you go in there, and, and, and it's this negotiation where all of a sudden it's desperate. If you find out that somebody that you love is, is sick or is ill or is, is, is uh, facing a potentially terminal disease, I've, I've sat with a friend of mine quite recently in that moment and the temptation to bargain with God is incredibly powerful. God, if, you will, if you'll do this for me, God, I promise I will never, ever, Sin again. I pro that, that sin I used to do, God, I'm not going to lie for at least one full calendar year. I promise you, God. No lies from now on. If you can just do this for me, God. I promise you, God, that if you give me, if you give me a financial breakthrough, God, we're in, we're in desperate trouble. We're in deep trouble. If you can give me a financial breakthrough, God, all the money I get, I'll, just, I'll give all my clothes to the poor, God. I promise you I'll give my clothes to the poor. God, if, if you give us a child, we want a child so desperately, we'll do the whole Hannah thing, God. We'll dedicate it unto the Lord. He can go work for the church. Poor child's not even born, but he's already like in ministry, man. I'll give that child to you, God, if you could just give me a child. I'll pray every day for four hours and 34 minutes, God, if you'll just do this for me, if you'll come through, if you'll give me the breakthrough I need or I won't eat sugar anymore, or I won't watch TV anymore, or I'll never arrive late for church ever again, God. From now on, I'm gonna serve and I'm gonna be there 15 minutes early. Should all be doing that anyways, but just, I just thought I'd throw that in there. As a child, um, I've, always, I've always been a very passionate sports lover and supporter of all the South African teams. I've, I've always uh, loved sport, and I've always been a passionate South African. Like most of us growing up, you, you, we love sport in this country. And, and I remember being so passionate when I was younger about watching the Springboks play, watching the cricket, the Proteas play cricket. And it doesn't actually matter what it was. If it was swimming, if it's like the Olympics comes around, I never watch swimming. But then I want our guys to get the gold medals, and I'm so disappoint, disappointed when we don't 
and get one or, or whatever happens. And, and I remember actually uh, watching uh, the Springboks. There was a time when the Springboks equaled the world record for the longest winning streak. 17 games in a row, they won. And we had the record equaled with New Zealand and needed to just beat England at Twickenham. We had beaten every other team in the United Kingdom and we just needed to beat England in this last game in Twickenham and we were just cruising past England before that. So we all thought this is it, the world record. And I remember having my whole family together watching this big game and we were just so excited to see it happen. And for some reason, it's like the moment was too big or the day just, what things just weren't gelling on the day. So many knock-on, uh, knock so many, missed opportunities and uh, in the final minutes we basically could have won the game and Peter Rousseau is just cruising down the right hand wing and he just needs to put this pass inside and one of the English guys just steps in and smacks the ball down which is totally illegal and uh, and 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 the ref blows the whistle and we lose the game we lose to England at Twickenham and it and I was so upset actually in hindsight it's worrying how upset I was because I took a piece of paper and I, and I wrote on it, England must die. And I stuck it on my cupboard door. And for some reason, for like two or three years after that, we only play England once a year, we kept losing to England and I just left it up there. I only took it down four years later when we finally beat England again, right? Some of you are worried about me right now. Don't worry, Jesus has been working in my heart. But Another time when I was watching the cricket uh, as a young boy watching the, the South African team play against Australia in cricket was always a big thing. And it doesn't matter what was happening in the series, we want to win every single game against Australia. And uh, so there was this one game where it was so tight. It wasn't the World Cup one, it was one before that. I was about 10 years old. And I remember being so desperate for a win against Australia uh, that I started praying to God. God, please, please, God. And I promised God in that moment. I started bargaining, 10 years old, and I'm like, God, I won't lie again. I will never tell a lie again. And to seal this covenant of faith, I went and fetched a small flag, one of those little desk flags, took it off the little stick and put it in my Bible and closed it in my Bible. Because surely, if the flag is in the Bible, the Lord will answer the prayers of this 10-year-old boy for the South African team to win. And I even, I saw Sean Pollock come up on TV and I was like, I know he's a Christian. He's praying right now, God. I agree. I agree with him in Jesus' name. You said any two agree, it shall be done for them. So I agree with Sean Pollock's prayers right now, God. It just shows how it's so natural in our hearts to begin to bargain with God. God, I'll give you this. I'll give this up. I'll try harder at that. But at the heart of this is simple unbelief. We bargain because we don't believe. We bargain with God because we don't believe in the goodness of God. So we begin to offer things up thinking that that would somehow change God's mind and change God's heart and, and, and turn his will towards us. Can we just think of how absurd that is for one moment? That the sovereign creator of heaven and earth will be swayed by whatever promises you have to make and commitments you have to offer. It's a lack of understanding of who this God is that we serve. We bargain because we don't really believe in the goodness of God. 
and we have this idea that everything that we want to get from God, now listen to me, because this might be you, and it, and it might be so subtle that you don't even realize it. But we are tempted every day to believe that everything we want from God, we somehow have to wrestle out of His arms. And, and God is pretty big, and it's pretty difficult to wrestle with Him. It's pretty difficult to, to get those blessings out of his hand. I remember playing a rugby game when I was 15 years old. Playing for the under 15A side, we played against Synstithians just down the road here. And in the Synstithians under 15A side, they had this one boy who, I don't know where he came from. I don't know what his parents looked like to, to have created this size, kind of a monstrosity of a 15-year-old. You know, he, he looked like Hagrid or something. He was just the biggest boy I had ever seen in my life. And, and at one point, we went into a mall, and he got his arms on the ball. And I was like, I have to wrestle the ball out of this thing's hands. Um, and, and I got my hands on. He, so he had his arms on it, and I got my hands on it. And we are wrestling for this ball. And I am giving it everything that I have got within me. I mean, I even started screaming out at one point, just in frustration. Just like, ah, just trying to get this ball out. And he was literally standing in one place chuckling. <laughs> chuckling just couldn't get the ball out of his hands and it ended up being a turnover. And sometimes we feel that way with asking God for things. Like we need to wrestle this blessing. We need to wrestle this healing. We need to wrestle this, this favor. We need to wrestle this breakthrough out of his hands. Whatever your wrestling might look like, it stems from the idea that God is somehow reluctant to bless us. That he's somehow reluctant. When the Bible declares again and again and again that he is a good father. That we as earthly evil fathers, we know how to give our children good gifts. If they ask us for something specific, we don't give them the opposite. Why do we think then? that God is always reluctant to bless, reluctant to give. And so we feel like we first have to prove ourselves to God, that we first have to be worthy of His blessing. I'll never forget, um, my wife and I, we've, we've shared this often, but we struggled to have kids at one point, and then uh, just... God did a miraculous thing and we were able to have children. And I remember meeting up with a guy who was in the same church as us at the time. And him and his wife had also been struggling to have kids. And, and I saw him and I obviously just had a lot of compassion for him because uh, I knew what it felt like. We had just been through that. So I stopped him outside the gym. He was heading into the gym. I was coming out and I stopped him and I said, hey, let's just, and I just wanted to encourage him a little bit. I just wanted to share with him some of what God had revealed to us. And, uh, and I'm sharing that God can do this for you, that you just need to trust in Him, that you just need to hold on to the goodness of God and just rest in the goodness of God. Don't, don't try and force it. And, and he said, yes, yes, he believes that. He believes that God can come through for him. He believes that God can give them a child. And then he said this, and, and I also think that God can, can, can bless me and God will reward me because I've just been looking after my health and I've been gymming really hard and, 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 and I've lost a lot of weight. And I stood there going, I could just see the desperation. He's bargaining with God. 
He literally thinks that by being faithful to go to gym and to be healthy enough that God would see the exercises that he has done and the time spent on treadmill. Like God has a calculator in heaven going, time spent on treadmill, yeah, that's quite a lot. Now I can give them a baby. And I stood there and I just, my heart broke for this guy. And I just said, no, God is not gonna give you a baby because you're going to gym. He's not gonna bless you because you've done something to earn that blessing. He's gonna simply do it because of his love for you. You're unworthy of it. We're unworthy of everything that God has given to us. But we just trust in his goodness. God blesses us because he loves us, because he's our father. As long as you believe in your life that you need to be worthy of of God's blessings, you will always struggle to receive from God. If you are the source of your own blessing, if you are the source of your own goodness in life, you will always struggle to receive. It's the condemnation that hinders us from giving. In this chapter of the book of John, chapter number five, we see Jesus coming up to Jerusalem at the Passover feast. It's the time of the Passover and Jesus arrives. Now the Passover feast was the main feast of of Israel that did two things. It remembered the time when God uh, saved Israel from the angel of death in Egypt by telling them to sacrifice a lamb and to rub the blood of the lamb on the doorposts and the angel of death would pass over. It was a prophetic statement of what Jesus, the Messiah, would do for us, that he would be the lamb of God who would die for us and by his blood, the judgment of death and of sin would pass over us, would be passed by us, we would be saved. And In this time, Jesus has arrived and they are celebrating the feast of the Passover, looking forward, prophetically announcing that the Messiah who is going to take away our sins is coming. And the irony of the moment is, is that he is already there. The Lamb of God is already there. And the Old Testament kept telling them what to look out for, what he was gonna look like. It's kind of like if you've ever bought something online and you had to meet somebody at a shop or at a certain store and you, you, you're meeting them there, but they don't know what you look like. You don't know what they look like. And so you kind of describe a little bit of your, of your clothing, what you're wearing. I met actually somebody like that two weeks ago and uh, I, I sent him a message like, hey, I'm wearing a black tightlist cap and a gray shirt. Um, I'll be in this area and you can just meet me there. And so he arrived and and he was able to find me because of it. And that's kind of what the Old Testament was doing when it told us all these these pictures. It showed us these prophecies and these illustrations and these pictures. It was saying to Israel, this is what Jesus is gonna look like when he arrives. But between the time that they got those prophecies and the time that Jesus actually arrived, in their minds, they made up their own idea of what Jesus was gonna look like. And so he arrives at the very feast that they're having to announce that he will arrive and they don't recognize him. It's like you going to meet somebody at a restaurant to buy something and you two are sitting at opposite tables in each other's company, not knowing that's actually the person that you're there to meet. This is what happened with Israel. Jesus arrives. He is the lamb of God. He is the Passover lamb arriving at the time of the Passover feast in Jerusalem and they don't recognize him. 
in our lives, we often do that as well. We don't always know and believe in how God works in our lives and our hearts. So when he does, we don't even realize it's Jesus. We don't even recognize the presence of God in our lives. And we're sometimes crying out to God, God, break through in this area. God, come and be present and help me to do this. And God is like, what are you talking about? I've been with you since the beginning. I'm right here at the feast. Oh, Jesus, we just prophetically proclaim that you will show up. And he's going, what are you? I'm here. I'm here. Oh, God, pour out your spirit. Now, we know what we say, what we mean when we say that, where God just touches us with his manifest presence. But we, it's wrong theologically to say, God, pour out your spirit, because he's poured it out already. The Spirit's already present with us. God is already present with us. And so we just need to recognize him. John the Baptist recognized Jesus when he arrived and, and Jesus came walking along and John points him out. Jesus is just wearing just normal clothing, dusty sandals, walking along the road. Nothing spectacular to look at. The Bible tells us that there was nothing stately about him that we would look at him, that we would wanna look at him. He was just, the Bible actually says in Isaiah that he was one that men would hide their faces from. Nothing stately or grand. And here comes Jesus. John the Baptist recognizes him and says, Behold, the Lamb of God who comes to take away the sin of the world. Behold the Lamb of God. Recognize Jesus. So think about this for a moment. The Lamb of God, the ultimate sacrifice for our sins, the sacrifice according to Hebrews to end all sacrifices, the one and only sacrifice for our sin, arrives at the sheep's gate or the sheep gate in Jerusalem. The sheep gate is the gate through which they would bring the sacrifices into the temple. That's why it was called the sheep gate. And the Lamb of God arrives at the sheep gate on the day of the Passover and it's the Sabbath. It's like God is going, Come on, all of these arrows going, it's him. This is him. It's really him. If, you, if you're not sure, I'm gonna give you every kind of confirmation that you need. It's Jesus. The Lamb of God at the sheep's gate on the day of the Passover on the Sabbath. It's Jesus. And Jesus comes to this pool, which is just inside Jerusalem, past the sheep's gate. And this pool is called Bethesda. And Bethesda means house of mercy. Jesus comes into the house of mercy, to this special pool. And at this pool, uh, the Bible tells us there's a multitude of people lying there. People that are disabled, people that are lame, paralyzed, blind, deaf, incapable of helping themselves. Just, just a bunch of disabled people lying by the pool or the house of mercy. And among them is this man that had been paralyzed and lying there for 38 years. Now, we've just got to give this guy some credit because he's, he's pretty committed. Look, it's not like he can do much else, but he's holding on to hope. He is desperate like we're sometimes desperate, probably even more. He's lying there going, I need a touch from God. I am desperate for a miracle. I am desperate for God to break through into my life. I am desperate for healing. And you might have noticed 
when we read through those verses earlier, that in this passage in John 5, 1 to 9, verse 4 is actually missing. It's not one of those tricks like on social media where you're like, you didn't notice there was no six and then you go back and number seven is, and you just checked. It's not that. It's actually not there because in some of the earlier manuscripts, um, it wasn't there. So they put it as a footnote instead. But ultimately what happened in uh, Jerusalem at this pool, and most scholars believe at the time of the Passover, that an angel of the Lord would come down and stir up the waters and that in that moment, there would be miraculous power available in those waters to whoever could step into it. So if you could get into that water first, you would be healed of whatever ailment you have or disability you have. And so you've got the blind, the lame, the paralyzed, the, they're just all waiting around for the water to be stirred up by this angel so that they could get in and get their healing. Again, this is a prophetic announcement. This happens every time at the Passover, and it was a prophetic utterance or illustration of what Jesus would do when he arrived at the Passover. The healing that he would bring, the restoration that he would bring. They're all desperate for some mercy. They're waiting at the house of mercy. And it all was just a, a prophecy, a declaration of Jesus. In Malachi 4 verse 2, it says, But for you who fear my name, the sun of righteousness shall rise with healing in its wings. Healing in the wings of the sun of righteousness. You shall go out leaping like calves from the stall. Isaiah 53, 5 says, but he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that uh, brought us peace. And with his wounds, we are healed. By the wounds of Jesus, by the sacrifice of Jesus, we receive our healing. So in this passage, Jesus arrives. The Lamb of God, the fulfillment of all of these prophecies. And he sees a man, and the Bible says he knows. He knows that this man had been there for 38 years. Something we could just rush by, but I want to pause right now and tell you that when Jesus looks at your life, he knows. He knows your situation. I was uh, chatting to one of our, our leader, leaders yesterday just about something I saw online that just spoke to me so deeply, which said that we all suffer from terminally superficial relationships. We pretend like we know each other because we say hi and you might know the other person's name and you might know what they do for a living. But in general, so much of our relationships are superficial. Every single person that you meet is in some way or another in a desperate fight for their lives. And I'm hoping that as we grow as a community that we can start to be more open about what's really happening in our lives and connect on a level that's deeper than just, oh, I know your name and I know what you do for a living. But that we could actually start to understand that all of us in this place, whether we wanna be honest about it this morning or not, are in a fight for our lives. We all face difficulty. We all face disappointment. We all wonder whether we're gonna make it to the end of the week. And so often we just put on a brave face and we go forward and we think no one knows us genuinely. 
But here's a good place to start. To know this this morning. That Jesus knows you. Not the you that you present on a Monday morning in the office. Not the you that you come to a church with on a Sunday morning to worship with. Not the, not the you that you would like everybody to perceive you as. Not the you you portray yourself to be on social media. No, Jesus knows you. Your deepest fears and insecurities and struggles and hardships and pains. Your deepest dreams the core, the fabric of who you are, what, what is in your heart. What, if we had to cut your heart open, what, what would come out? That's what Jesus sees. And he has compassion for you. It's the great thing about Jesus is that he knows everything that there is to know about us and yet loves us unconditionally. Nothing about you will ever scare God away. Nothing about your life that you've done or felt or thought will ever make God take a step back from his commitment to you. He is totally, totally faithful to you. Committed to you. Just, it's mind-boggling. I, I, I just pray that the Holy Spirit helps us to realize this morning. It's mind-boggling. The creator of heaven and earth is committed to you personally and loves you beyond what you could even imagine. And every time we test the limits of his grace and the limits of his love, he just reaffirms them again and again and again. He sees this man, says, I know that he has been there for 38 years. I have compassion on this man. And so Jesus comes to him and asks him the question, do you want to be healed? Do you want to be healed? Are you desperate? Are you looking for an answer to prayer? Are you desperate for a touch from God? Do we recognize our need for Jesus this morning? The man responds to Jesus' question, about wanting to be healed. And he, he says, but I have nobody to put me into the pool. Whenever the water is stirred up, someone else gets there before me. I am paralyzed. I don't have the ability to get myself into the water, to get myself into the right position. And that's how we often treat uh, receiving from God. We feel like unless we get ourselves into the right position to be able to receive, that God won't be able to bless us. So, so much of Christianity has become a little map to try and figure out and work out how you can get yourself into the right position for God to touch you. Oh, well, I have to be at church on a Sunday. I have to raise my hands in this way. I have to pray so many hours a week. I have to make sure that I cut these things in my life. If I position myself in all of those ways, then God can work in my life. But can I just say this morning that this is delusional at best and utterly dishonest at worst. Because you're ignoring the fact that you are completely paralyzed. That you are like this invalid, this man just lying there, incapable of moving himself into a position where God can bless him. And we are all the same in that regard. 
We don't have what it takes to be blessed. We don't have what it takes to position ourselves. We don't have what it takes to drag ourselves into the pool. We're paralyzed in our own strength. Romans 7 verse 18 says, For I know that nothing good dwells in me, that is, in my flesh. For I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. For I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I keep on doing. Incapable to help myself. That's why the gospel is not self-help. That's why I didn't, uh, we didn't come together this morning so that I can tell you how you need to help yourself be better. This is not a self-help program. This is not a self-improvement program. This is a recognition that we are the paralyzed men and women lying at the house of mercy, desperate for a savior. We're not scrambling for a touch from God or trying to catch Him in the perfect moment. Sometimes we're too caught up looking for that angel or that moment or for all the spiritual forces to align so that we can have our breakthrough. But the truth is, is that we are totally incapacitated in our own strength. I love how he says, I I, I try and get there but others always get there before me. Have you experienced that as a Christian? Have you like, I just, I'm so desperate for God to bless me in a certain way and to come through for me in a certain way and then he doesn't come through for me but then he comes through for somebody else? Like somebody else somehow gets the touch of God and, and it's just, have you, I, I'm gonna be totally honest, there have been times in my life where it has been difficult for me to be happy for other people. Even some of my best friends, like I just want to celebrate them, but in my heart, my heart's actually breaking because I'm like, that's what I wanted. I wanted God to do that in my life. Why does he do it in their lives and not in mine? Why is this my situation? Can we be honest this morning that we sometimes struggle to celebrate other people? And we wonder, God, why 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 do other people get into the water? Why do they get their healing? But Jesus hears us and he knows us. And the great thing about this story is that Jesus didn't wait for that man to maybe after 40 years or 45 years or 50 years, eventually do enough to get into the water. Instead, Jesus came to where he was. And that's what Jesus does for us. He comes to us where we're at. He meets us in our brokenness. He meets us in our humanity. He meets us in the midst of our sinful situation, our messed up life, our brokenness, our our, our disability. He comes to us in that moment and he declares, I am the Lamb of God. This is the Passover. It's the Sabbath. And I am here to ask you, do you want to be healed? So Jesus looks at this man. He'd been lying there. And he tells him, get up. You don't have to crawl 
to the pool anymore. You don't have to depend on your own efforts or your own abilities to get yourself into the right position. I have arrived, so get up. Get up, take your bed, and walk. Romans 5 verse 8 says, but God showed his love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, paralyzed, disabled, Christ died for us. We're set free from having to strive to obtain God's mercy. Because Jesus is God's provision for mankind's need. Jesus is the provision of God for every miracle that we might need. Jesus is every miracle. The Bible says through him, all things were created. They were created by him and for him. And all of them are held together by the, by the word of his power. All miracles are in Jesus. In fact, creation is a miracle. We, we struggle sometimes with these extraordinary miracles. Oh, how, could, how could Jesus just tell a paralyzed man to get up and walk? How can God heal somebody who might be sick today? Somebody who might have cancer or a terminal disease or is struggling. How can God do that? But, but we're living a miracle. Your life is a miracle. Creation is a supernatural act of God. We're here today because of the miraculous thing that God did in speaking all things into being. So if God created the miracle of, of creation, then why do we struggle to trust that he could heal us of a cold or, 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 or raise somebody up from the dead or, or, or cause the paralyzed to walk again? C.S. Lewis said, miracles are a retelling in small letters of the very same story which is written across the whole world in letters too large for some of us to see. The whole world is a miracle and when we see somebody healed or touched or a situation changed, that's just fine print of the bigger story. Does that make sense this morning? I'm almost done. Romans 8 verse 32, it says this. It says, he who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Just let that sink in for a moment. We are so bad at trusting God and his goodness. And in this scripture, Paul is saying, when you were desperately lost in your own sinfulness with no way of being rescued, God gave even his own son. He gave his own son to ransom you to bring you near, to make you the righteousness of God. God caused him who knew no sin, Jesus, to become sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. He literally gave his own son for you so that you might be saved, so that you could be reconnected to the heart of the Father, so that you can have this fellowship and this relationship and this access that we have with our own Father. If that's the lengths to which God went to bring you into a relationship with Him, how could you possibly think that He doesn't care about your life? And how would He not so much more, so much more now with Jesus, graciously, which means by a free gift, something that you cannot earn, the unmerited favor of God, that by his grace, he would graciously give you all things. 
Here's what I'm trying to tell you this morning. Is that we don't need a pool anymore. We don't need a moment or, or an angel or, or a, a special alignment of spiritual forces because we have Jesus. He is present in your life. And if there is anything that you need, the Bible says that you can boldly approach his throne of grace in your time of need. Boldly, with confidence, knowing that's my dad. I don't have to be afraid. I don't have to crawl my way there. I don't have to, to, to try and show how, how willing and, and, and able I am or how, how worthy I am of receiving from him. You already know you're not worthy in your own strength. But because of Jesus, you just like a little child runs into his dad's bedroom or into his dad's office and just says, Dad, can I have this? Or, Dad, I need your help. There's a closeness there that God wants us to understand. As I'm uh, thinking about this, I'm just thinking about what happened last night with me and, and Eli. Uh, he had a, a hectic fever in the middle of the night last night. So he got into the bed. He, he called from his room. So I went over, picked him up, brought him into my room. And, and, and uh, he got into bed, but he decided he wanted to share a pillow with me. So, I mean, normally I need a whole pillow for myself pretty much, you know. And, and, but he wanted to share that space. Four-year-old boy, just be right there in the bed with me. And so what I did is I, I turned towards the outside of the bed, and he was looking towards the inside, so kind of like we were lying back to back. And uh, he then turned around in the middle of the night. This must have been 4 a.m., uh, kind of, it's all kind of hazy still. But he, he, middle of the night, he turns around, and he wakes me up, and he says, Dad, turn your face towards my face. <laughs> I don't know why he wanted that last night, but he didn't want us to lie back to back. He wanted us to lie face to face, just like, Dad, can, we just, can our faces just be close to each other while we sleep? And that's the kind of access that we have with the Father. We still see the Father like He's locked up in heaven somewhere and that we have to almost climb a mountain to get to Him. But you're actually lying right next to each other. And as a child of God, you can turn around and say, Dad, can you just put your face to my face? Can I just see, can we just be face to face? Can we have a discussion? Can we talk? Can we be present together in this moment? And he is there in that moment. He knows you. He's present in your life. And he has already brought the healing. He has already brought the miracle. He has already brought everything that you ever need. He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? I read in the book of Nehemiah that the sheep's gate was the first gate that was built. When Nehemiah went after uh, the forces, the armies of Babylon destroyed all of Jerusalem, they went to go and rebuild the wall, and they started by building the sheep gate. And then they basically built all the way around, and if you read in the book of Nehemiah, it says that they ended at the sheep's gate as well, which just spoke to me so loudly when I read that in preparation for this message, because it tells me that everything begins and ends with Jesus. It's not a relay race. 
This is not God has the baton of salvation and then he hands it over to you and you better just not drop it on your way. It's not God does the beginning bit and then you got to finish it off in your own strength. No, God is the one who runs on your behalf. He runs the whole race from the beginning and he goes all the way around to the finish on your behalf. Everything that we need is found in Jesus. We don't have to depend on our own strength. The pressure's off. We just have to look to Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith, beginning and the end, alpha and omega. We start at the sheep's gate, we end at the sheep gate. It's all in Jesus. Your healing, your touch, your relationship with God, the desperate thing that you're holding on for, that desperate situation, that desperate circumstance, it's all in Jesus. And it ends off there by saying, this day was the Sabbath. And the Sabbath is the day of rest. So all that we do on this day is we rest in the finished work of Jesus. And we understand that he has done it all for us already. Does that encourage you this morning? Come on, you may have come in here being like, okay, I've got to make sure that I get my spiritual life up there. You know, I want some stuff from God and I need some things and I, I better fight this out and I'm going to wrestle this ball out of his hands and I'm going to get my blessing and I'm going, to, I'm going to just pray and make sure that God can do this. And God goes, no, 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 I've done it all. And I will graciously give you all things. Just trust me. Recognize that we're not still waiting for Jesus. We're not waiting for the angel. We're not waiting for the moment but he has already arrived. He is already there and you are already in the house of mercy. Amen? Amen. Let's pray together. Jesus, we thank you so much this morning.